0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother, Jacob Johnson.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: And we are thrilled that you are listening or watching us today Go to our website, which is trdshow.net, and if you aren't already following us on places like Gab TV or Rumble, if you've just been a podcast listener for uh, most of your days listening to the show, then you should check us out because we do a video format as well where we have some cool graphics up on the screen, um, lots of additional information, and the best way to get get access to that content is by going to our website, trdshow.net, and following that to... The other platforms that we're on shortly within a few months you won't have to follow them anywhere else because we'll have our content on our website which will be so so cool but until that time you can just follow us on some other platforms and and do it that way also send us an email uh at uh send an email to trd at protonmail.com we would love to hear from you what uh have you heard from us recently that you thought was interesting, or you agreed with, or maybe you disagreed with, and you'll provide facts, of course, that back up why you disagree. Um, Send that all to trdshow at protimel.com. We just love to hear from our audience. Also, you can follow us on Gab and Getter, G-E-T-T-R, if you like free speech, if you hate it because that's an option too. If you do hate free speech, you can, of course, follow us on places that censor our content, like YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So check those out. Please like this video and subscribe, because that really helps us grow. All right, so today is Literature Wednesday. Um, We have been taking this month and last month uh, and making our way through Andrew Torba, and if you don't know Andrew who Andrew Torba is, he is the founder of Gab, Gab TV, the dissenter browser, and multiple other uh, Gab pay, Gab ads, a whole bunch of services, whole suite of services to help build a Christian culture uh, counterculture. And he wrote a book earlier this year called Christian Nationalism. So we've been making our way through his book the past uh, well last month and this month and uh we've made our way to chapter six and seven and we're shaking things up a little bit today because uh yesterday we were like talking about who's gonna cover what chapter and i was just like all right i call dibs on chapter seven and jake was just like yeah all right fine you can do that (laughs) um so he begrudgingly let me take chapter seven (laughs) now they're both really good chapters but i really wanted chapter seven he likes chapter six so hey we're going to switch it up a little bit. And Jake's going to go first with the um, chapter breakdown of chapter six, talking about, as I understand it, free speech, which will be fascinating to chat about. And then um, I'm going to be talking about lukewarm Christianity. And all of that is, of course, inspired uh, and derived from Andrew Torba's content in those chapters. So definitely, if you haven't purchased a copy of his book already, you should totally do that. I think you can go to Gab and Probably find it on there somewhere, but we also have a link to it on our gab page ha <laughs> how about that um but before we get into all of that stuff, we have to talk about our verse of the week and it's Wednesday so I'm gonna pass it on over to Jake to do just that
1: righty and our uh our verse this week as it has been all week uh first Peter verse three sorry chapter three verses twenty two and it's no longer verses for this week well not verses for this week. It's only one verse, so it's actually in fitting with our description of verse of the week. But um, our verse this week again is First Peter, First Peter chapter three, verses twenty-two, and it says, "Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him." And the the basic understanding of this verse, and probably what Bruce and I want to focus on uh, mainly, is that this is saying that all authorities and powers and angels have been subjected to him. He has all the authority. He has all the power over the authorities. So he gets to say what those authorities should do. He has the power. And, and this goes back to... Um, this goes back to the Great Commission in saying that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto Christ. Go therefore, and that's in fitting with that. And really, like if you haven't noticed by now, almost all of the verses that Bruce and I uh, have been going on over over the show have been this theme of God having reign and having dominion, and that we are to understand this from that we are to use have this understanding that God has dominion and has the power and has the authority so we should go therefore and take dominion all the earth mm. um, as it as it says in Genesis and I think it's like <clears throat> Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 it talks about the dominion mandate that we are to subdue the earth and that is in connection with this that Christ has the authority so then go therefore and take dominion so it's just like yeah. something that hopefully our audience has noticed throughout yeah. this entire time of us on the show. We've been really going over and hammering out all these verses just to show you that there are verse scriptural references to say so that, many. that Christ has power over everything and he has power over the government. The government is not some... All the governments. Right.
0: Not oh, that is the true.
1: You're right. Uh, when we say government, we mean, well, when we, when we say government, it should mean all of the governments, not just the civil government. But when people say government, it typically, they mean the civil government. But, um, in this case, a lot of people like to say that the civil government is a, is outside of Christ's reign, which completely isn't true. Hopefully our audience has seen that through all the verses. But I've been rambling, so... (laughs)
0: yeah no that that was yeah really good and you know we we definitely focus on those verses um, for a reason because we hope that it prompts christians to ask further questions the realization that christians need to come to today is that christ has authority over every aspect of their lives um Uh everything that you do from your work to the way that society is structured And everything in between the Bible speaks to. And so when we talk about these verses, like 1 Peter 3.22, that's talking about angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to Christ, we're seeing everything in Scripture um, is, is to be applied to all areas of life. We're seeing that Christ reigns, and with that reign comes so much uh, and there's no way we can answer all of those questions on our show, which is why we just want to get you asking questions and then we can send you to people who are way smarter than us and, and have been studying this for a lot longer and who are not even alive today. But, have, you know, people like Greg Bonson, people from from, you know, decades ago and even centuries ago who have studied this because none of this is new um, people long ago have studied how the Bible applies to all areas of life and they'll be studying it long after we're gone. So, this is important. You need to ask these questions and until Christians start asking these questions, there will not be a reformation and a revival in our land, which is what we desperately need today. So, with all of that being said, let's move on to our literature and I'm going to pass it over to Jake to talk about chapter 6 in Andrew Torba's book Christian Nationalism.
1: Yeah, and so, like, I know, uh, Bruce, the way he has it set up typically, and the way I set it up last week, is that we typically go over headings, and we, we go through the headings, and choose all of our quotes that fit in with that heading, um, but today, I'm gonna do a little bit, a a different way, and I'm just gonna go through the quotes as they appear, as they, as I found, found them in the book, so basically in order. So the pages should be going in order. Uh, starting with page 72. And in, in this whole chapter Andrew Torba was talking about um, he was talking about freedom of speech but also specifically that Christians are naturally dissenters, that the Christian faith we the Christian people are dissenters against culture. And this starts with page 72, where he says, History shows us the Christians are the forefathers and defenders of all types of liberty, liberty, including, but not limited to, freedom of speech, religious freedom, private property, and the creation of the freest nation in history of the world, the United States of America. And, you know, what, end quote. And what he's saying in all of that is that, you know, we are the ones who create liberty. Uh, Christians are basically the basis, and, and by saying Christians, I, what we're talking about is the Christian ideology, the Christian faith, the Bible, is the basis for liberty. You cannot have liberty without the Bible. Uh, the definition of someone who is tyrannical is someone who goes against, is someone who, uh, creates laws more than the Bible asks for, or someone who goes against, the biblical laws um, and that's that's going back to a fight left feast rally that happened a year ago year or two ago in South Dakota and it was about defying tyrants and so they were talking about that and uh, that whole aspect of that Christians are the ones who are to fight tyrants but moving on to page 73 where Andrew Tuber says, The history of Christianity is rooted in dissent. Dissent is rooted in the desire to preserve liberty and live authentically according to God's word. End quote. And, and this is very interesting, the way he describes and defines uh, dissent or dissenting. Um, he's saying that dissent is basically defined as the desire to preserve liberty and live authentically to God's word. And so really you you get this idea and at least our current culture has this idea that dissenting is just arguing or taking the opposing side or like wanting to
0: be contrarian.
1: Right, exactly. But this is how Andrew Torba is defining it <clears throat> is dissent is the desire to preserve liber- liberty and live authentically to God's word. And I, I think this is a very interesting way to define it. And I think going forward, this is how we should be defining it and how we should be understanding it. Um, but moving on again, on page 73, Andrew Torba says the word dissenter from the Latin dissentire to disagree it means to disagree originates from the protestants who separated from the anglican church of england more generally speaking it is one who disagrees in matter of opinion and belief dissent requires freedom of speech to exist without it tyrants quickly work to make any form of dissent illegal end quote and and just to clarify just to make sure that people who listen to what I just said and then listen to this quote and are like, wait, but you contradicted yourself. And and what the last one what the last quote was saying is that it how we dissent and what causes someone to dissent is is rooted, what Andrew Torbus says, is rooted in the desire to preserve liberty. The definition specifically of dissent is to disagree, and and specifically to disagree in matters of opinion and belief. But that comes stems from freedom that we were dissenting because we are looking to preserve liberty and authentically live according to God's word. Um, and and where we find this, Andrew Torba goes on to seventy page seventy four, and it really puts this into kind of perspective because some people may wonder well the christians really aren't people who fight back and christians really aren't the people who argue we're we're just god calls us to be loving and we should be loving in everything and and really that a phrase that steve Dace likes to say is that those people are trying to be nicer than god Mm. and and that it's it's great because you know all right, if you were to think of that, God is the the standard for niceness, but it's that you're trying to be more loving than God, that you think that we should be more loving than God was, and and God is quite loving, but the, he also says to speak the truth in love and that we should, uh, what was it, uh, Martin Luther also had a quote that said, uh, peace, if possible, truth at all costs. Hmm. And, and that's, that's the best because we speak the truth no matter what we do that in a loving way for sure, but that we speak truth no matter what. Uh, and on page 74, Andrew Torba says from Martin Luther to the Puritans, to the founding fathers. Bible-believing Christians have and always will be crusaders and defenders of freedom. Hmm. He's saying that you know we find all these examples in history in which these people were very uh, dissenters, very dissenting against the ideas popular popular ideas of that culture, as as we say in our uh, our beginning statement as to what our show is is that we are dissenters who are dissenting against popular ideas of culture and that's what these people did martin luther um dissented against the popular idea of catholicism uh the puritans dissented against a lot of the the strange and weird ideas of their current day and age and specifically the founding fathers they went completely up against england and that that moves me into my next quote by by Andrew Torba on page 74 which he says the founding fathers stared in the face of england and its king at argu- arguably their peak of power in world history and dared to say no and that that is powerful because if you read the book he also he also talks about how martin luther did the same to the catholic church and I, you you really should read the book because I'm leaving a good bit out for the sake of time. Uh, but I, I think that's a super strong statement. Uh, last one that I want to end on for right now. <clears throat> um, and I want to let Bruce have his time to go over all of his because I bet he has a lot. But this one is not directly a quote from Andrew Torba. It is a quote in the book, but it's a quote from David Chilton. Now, Bruce Woo-hoo. knows David Chilton, and he's read a lot of David Chilton's book. I books I haven't yet. I would like to at some point. But David um...
0: Chilton is one of the one of the greats in the theological realm. I think both him and Bonson, I think, died in the early '90s. So we lost two of the great theological minds of our times, mm. <laughs> around the same era. But but um, yeah, his his stuff is just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and, and this is this statement that he has, and it's quite a long statement, but it, it is so true, especially with thinking about our current culture, is, and and I'll, I'll, I'll just quote it instead of giving a synopsis of it, uh, but the quote says, The unbiblical idea of spirituality is that the truly spiritual man is the person who is sort of non-physical, who doesn't get involved in earthly things, who doesn't work very much or think very hard. And who spends most of his time meditating about how he'd rather be in heaven as long as he's on earth though he has one main duty in life: get stepped on for Christ. The spiritual man in this view is a wimp, a loser, but at least he's a good loser. The teaching of the Bible is very different yeah and end quote and that is so true and he goes on uh, he goes on further with the quote by David Chilton to talk about what a biblical man looks like what the biblical nice. person looks like yeah and and what spiritual is actually supposed to mean um and he he changes it from having a lowercase s to having a capital s because spiritual is being filled with the holy spirit is mm. living your life living a sanctified life because you were imbued with the holy spirit yeah. because through the working of the holy spirit you can actually go out and change things. You can go and you can actually do good works mm-hmm. because of the Holy Spirit working through you. Um, but, yeah, and that, and that's where I'll, I'll end there. I have a few more quotes that I'm not going to get to, but I will allow Bruce to rant now.
0: <laughs> well, I won't be ranting, but I will be pulling up some quotes from the book, so... <laughs> I don't rant. I monologue. Let's make that clear. <laughs> All right. So it ever helps you sleep at night. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's how I sleep at night. Um, yeah. So I that was a really really good point, and a lot of that ties in pretty closely to. Um, I, I think chapter seven picks up right where chapter six leaves off, which is talking about um, the title of chapter seven is "The Time for Lukewarm Christianity Is Over," which. <clears throat> if you know, right off of what Jacob was just talking about, this goes hand in hand exactly with that. Um, so starting out, you know, for those of you who don't know what lukewarm Christianity is, or for those of you who think you know what lukewarm Christianity is, um, let's set the record straight and just kind of define it here on the outside of chapter seven. The term lukewarm Christianity is derived from revelation. Chapter three, verses uh, 15 through 16, where people are essentially trying to be neutral. Uh, and these people are told that they will be spit out like lukewarm water. Uh, in Matthew twelve thirty, Christ says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So we see that it's not that there, there is no neutrality. If you're not with Christ, not only are you not planting, you are scattering. You are doing the opposite of, of planting. So there is no, uh, well, you know, I'm not planting seeds and building the kingdom of God like Christ has told me to do. But at least I'm not tearing down any walls. Nope, Christ says here, if you are not building the kingdom of God, you are destroying it and you're tr- actively trying to take it down. So, there is no neutrality, and if a Christian t- tries to tell you otherwise, they haven't read their Bibles properly. The point is that there's no middle ground, there never has been, and there never will be. We need to live completely in all areas of our life for Christ, and our outward actions should reflect that. That and, uh, is the opposite of lukewarm Christianity.
1: Sorry. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, sorry. Yeah, there's, there's another quote that I'm thinking of, and I don't know exactly who said it, but... Um, it speaks to speaks to the same point, and it takes a little bit at the at the end to kind of explain it. But um, the quote is "Be killing sin, or sin be killing you," <laughs> and and really like you understand that as how well how does that apply to building the kingdom? Well, you know how we build the kingdom is by putting off our personal sin, then helping the culture put off their cultural sins, and so we're either killing the sin. Or we're letting the sin fester and go.
0: Yeah. Yep. yep.
1: Both culturally yep. and personally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. On page 78, just to build kind of further on that concept, Andrew Torba said, people refer to themselves as a Christian when asked about matters of faith. But you won't find them openly proclaiming Christ as their central identity. And then. On page eighty, he goes on and says, "The time for lukewarm Christianity is over. Christians need to rise up and proclaim the Lord, the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, to the world." Um, end quote. That was page eighty. So, <clears throat> so this is really important that we um, exactly what Jacob was, you know, saying earlier. If we're not putting sin to death, it's putting us to death. If if we're not uh, working. And doing what Christ has called us to do, then we are essentially the antithesis of that. We are working against it. Um, but when we aren't lukewarm Christians, God blesses our work. And we learned a lot more about this earlier this year on the show uh, and shared it with you when we were going through um, Raymond Simmons' book, The Confessional County. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. We highly recommend everyone listening. Uh, gets their own copy of it and reads through it because Raymond Simmons breaks down the principles of blessings and cursings. So God blesses any curses. We are all in a covenant with God and there are blessings and curses. There are repercussions and there are benefits of doing what God has called us to do. Um, And that's really important on page 80, Andrew Torba says, we are the ones establishing nuclear families. We are the ones bringing up our children to know and love the Lord. We are the ones building sovereign businesses and infrastructure. We are the ones with a future worth fighting for. We are reformers, builders, and pioneers, end quote. And all of that is true if the we here are the ones who are actually reading their Bibles and understand how society is to be structured according to the word of God. But just simply by calling yourself a Christian and being a lukewarm Christian and not actually being a real Christian and understanding what the Bible says about your life, that these things will not be true of you. On page 82, Andrew Torba said, if your children are not raised to have a biblical worldview, the enemy will most certainly see to it that they are raised with their demonic, secular humanism worldview, end quote. And that is really important because one of the best ways to keep the next generation from becoming a generation of lukewarm Christians is to train them properly. We cannot train them properly if we're sending them to a secular government that fills them full of a secular worldview that is completely antithetical to scripture and the kingdom of God. So for Christians, and we state this all the time, I feel like it should become part of our uh, show tagline. Government schools are not an option. If we're being honest, they never have been. We shouldn't have thought that they were. Back when we started them in the mid 1800s, they never have been because that's not the job of the civil government. To train children is not the job of the civil government. And when we started to believe that it was, we started to descend into madness. So for Christians today to think, oh, I'll just send my kids to the government to be trained, the civil government, and at least I'll have some time in the evening to you know undo basically everything they just did throughout the day that's utter insanity that rarely ever pans out the way you think it does so that's our obligatory don't send your children to the government to be trained message of the day um but let's let's back up a second and just ask the question why are we here why do we have so many lukewarm christians today what the heck happened? How do we get to this point? Page eighty-three, Andrew Torba kind of answers this, and he answers it really well and cuts right to the heart of the matter. Uh, I love this part of of his book. I think this is my favorite part of his book so far. He said, "Eschatology is essential. American Christianity has subverted 150 years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, was subverted 150 years ago with a doomsday cult eschatology." I love that phrase. It's so true. Doomsday cult eschatology, where Christians now celebrate every horrible thing going on in the world as some fulfillment of prophecy that ends the world and ushers in the return of Christ. Dispensational Zionism and its eschatology are spells cast over American Christian minds. End quote. That is so true. I mean, this dispensational premillennial eschatology where the end of the world is nigh, run for your lives, you know, this whole world is under Satan's reign and there's nothing we can do to stop it, is utter insanity and completely against the Bible. On page 83... Andrew Torba goes on and says, for 2000 years, Christians have been builders, pioneers, inventors and masters of art, culture and society. When our eschatology changed that, um, all of that went away. When our eschatology changed, all of that went away because who wants to build a future for the glory of God when the end of the world could happen any second now? Which is so true. Mm. Why work for things and assume they're going to have longevity and permanence. We're working for things in the future that aren't just going to turn to dust if we don't think that they are. If we think the Bible says, eh, all of this could all go up in a puff of smoke any second now. And what we do today really doesn't have any permanence. So let's just give as many people fire insurance as we can. That's just utter insanity because the Bible speaks directly against that. David Chilton has written a ton of books on that topic. If you're interested in understanding why premillennial dispensationalism is not correct send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com we would love love to send you resources and books and all sorts of things on that very topic all right so we got about a minute left and jake and i both have finishing statements uh call to action statements from the chapters that we read we've both shared that we really love that andrew Torba ends all of his chapters with kind of a call to action, uh, uh, phrase, sentence, or paragraph. So, um, so Jake, I'll let you go first and then I'll, I'll add mine.
1: And really, um, I, I think this, this ending quote really fits in with what you were, you were just saying about an eschatology of victory and that, <clears throat> that we should be optimistic of our future. And yep. this specifically on page 77, Andrew Torpa says, uh it sorry, before I go into the quote. He's talking to talking about that um that, that a lot of people are attacking us and a lot of things have changed. And we we cannot say that we'd live in a culture, as Bruce and I were saying on Monday, we cannot say that we're living in a culture that is any more free, uh, that wants liberty, or that is really necessarily um Trying to spread Christianity. So it, it has, it is very evil, our culture right now. But he's saying that um, we will have victory. And on page 77, I, I will read the quote now. We've done it before, and by grace of God, we will do it again. And, end quote. And it's so powerful because <clears throat> he's saying that. He can say with certainty certainty that we will do it again. Yeah. That God will allow us to do it again.
0: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so really quickly, my final call to action um, kind of preps us for the next chapter. And the next chapter is called an eschatology of victory, just like what Jacob was saying. And all of that carries with it exactly the same thing Jake just mentioned, which is we're going to, you know, we've done it before. We've Christianized nations before we've lost sight of it. They fell away. And then a couple uh, centuries later, another nation comes up that was even better than the last attempt. We're getting better over time. Christianity is growing and spreading and getting further and further and further. We're getting more study done on this topic. We're having more, Uh, uh, laws formed and new ideas from scripture based on scripture, where we're extrapolating these things better and better and growing and learning, it is getting progressively better. You just have to widen your timeline. You just have to look beyond the last 100 years, look beyond the last 200, 300, 400 years, look at the last two millennia of church history, and then tell me that this world, that Christ is failing. Then tell me that his reign is coming to ruin. Because that's that's utter insanity. So anyways, final quote from Andrew Torba, page 84. He said, when I grew up and read my Bible, I didn't find a story of doom and gloom. I found the truth of Christ's triumphant victory. We must hold fast to this truth and have an eschatology of victory once again. End quote. And with that, we will wrap things up. Jake, anything you want to add before we wrap up today?
1: I think it's also an important point to bring out is that uh, just what made me think of this phrase, think of this thought point, is that when he said we must, we must hold fast, is that we, we have this victory through the, through the working of the Christians doing something as a group. We can't do this alone as lone people in a uh, dead state. We must join with other Christians who are strong, who are going to help us, and there is where we have the victory, and we will grow from that.
0: Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Not being separate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, good point. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone so, so much for joining us today, listening, or watching. Don't forget, like this video. Give us a five-star review on the podcast, a platform of your choice. We'd really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, send us an email, trdshowatprotonmail.com. Check out our website, which is trdshow.net. We are very much looking forward to seeing you on our Friday episode where we have a very special guest, Brandon Raby, who is a Christian gamer. And we're going to be talking about doing uh, video games, playing video games, creating video games, creating video game content, all of that to the glory of God. You do not want to miss our Friday episode.
1: And remember, everyone, in all that you do, Do it as unto the Lord.